Well, so good to have you here this morning. And we're going to look at the life of Samson. This is a different type of sermon uh, because the life of Samson is not one that you exegetically follow. I don't even know why I'm saying that word anyway. Uh, But it is a life lesson. Matter of fact, uh, one of the titles could be Salmon, Samson, Salmon, Samson. I'm so glad you could be here today. Can I have some of that water right there? (laughs) Thank you. Let's try one more time. Oh, Samson, a wasted life. And I I want us to look at the issue of, of living up to our potential today. Living up to the potential that God has given you, not the talent that God has given you, but up to the potential that God has given you. And so as we talk about that, uh, Samson's almost the antithesis, the the opposite of what God desires from our heart, because Samson is enormously blessed, and he's blessed from birth, and he's blessed with a gift that no one else ever even really has to the extent that he has it. And so I want to ask you this question today, are you living up to your potential? Now, I've asked a friend, uh, John Lott, to come up, and John has, uh, is a former NFL player and an NFL coach, and uh, John and I have talked about this subject a couple of times before uh, because it's definitely very uh, relevant, and uh, I, I asked him, I remember him sharing a couple things with me one time before. Uh, about people who are naturally talented in the NFL, who are enormously talented, as opposed to guys that are good, but they're not great, but they work really, really hard, and, and they make it. And John would be one of those guys, and I, I'm, I'm telling you this from him, so I'm not picking on him, but John was not just a naturally gifted athlete in the terms of NFL quality, but he was a hard worker. John, you told me this, all right? <laughs> But he was a very, very hard worker. Uh, he went to North Texas and still has uh, a lot of the records for most weight lifted and uh, just a tremendously hard worker and just a great work ethic. And um, so, John, I want, you to, I want you to just share with us, uh, what's the difference between someone who's naturally born with a gift as opposed to somebody who has to work really hard? And then give us examples of people who were extremely gifted, but maybe they were kind of like Samson. They didn't live up to their ability and maybe even a couple of people who worked really hard who weren't nearly as gifted, but they worked really hard with what they had. Well, you know, what Ron's talking about, and I've said it before, is there's, there's two different types of people. And it be a girl or a boy, it doesn't matter. It's congenital and acquired. And we refer to them as white-collared or blue-collared, okay? It doesn't matter if it's gifted in school, okay? Someone's just, it just, things just happen to them, which I didn't get that boat, Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ron did either, but um, yeah. But the bottom line is, is it's you know when you're on the peewee, you know playgrounds and you're running faster than everybody, you're jumping the fitness test, you do more pull-ups, it just comes natural to you. Then you have someone like me, he's a little pudgy, you know. But but I really I really like sports. I like to compete. Nobody can really um, judge what you have in your heart, and that's you're acquired, and that's someone that you really can't tell them you know, that you can't do this, okay? And until it happens, you know, I'm not going to believe it. And so a few of these people that I've trained or, you know, was with Carl Lewis. I don't know if some of y'all know him. He was a track, probably one of the greatest track athletes we've ever had, we've ever seen in the Olympics. Uh, Acquired congenital freak, you know. uh, People like uh, uh, Clyde Drexler played 19 years in the majors and things of that nature. 
And football players, which is pretty much my profession, you know, I've been around a lot, I've played with them, uh, like a Michael Webster's and people like that. But when you look at someone like a Larry Fitzgerald, who is just a congenital acquired freak, I mean, anything he can do to get them better, he's going to do. And he's going to, you know, something I tell my athletes all the time, don't let it be something you did not do to cause you to fail. And that can go with girls, boys, doesn't matter, school or life. You know, if I've got to do whatever i got to do. But getting on to this is, you know, great athletes that we've had come in that have not really reached their potential, okay? We, we drafted a kid in Cleveland that was uh, who wore the jersey number one. And if you all are, are familiar with Michigan, that's an All-American. In Texas, it's 60. and At USC, it's 55. But if you wear this number, the accountability you have on you is for generations, and that was Braylon Edwards. And I love Braylon. Braylon sitting right there. I'd tell him, you know, Braylon did not reach his potential. 6'4", 4'4", could jump out the sky, could lift everything in the world. But he didn't do the P's and the Q's that he needed to be the player that everyone thought he could be. You know, there was a, there was a player named Chester McLaughlin, for you big people, came out of, of Clemson. And I'm just going to say this, Ron, real quick, is that, you know, I trained him. And make a long story short, we got beat, bad game, terrible season. I'm in New York. We're 6-10. and 10. Sunday, we play the game. We fly back. Monday, they're with me, okay? And I didn't get this voice from singing. And so... <laughs> We're, we're talking and we're going over this, and I'm, I'm not real happy with him anyway because, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's not been one of my favorites. And so we kind of get into it, and, you know, we kind of get separated. And so the bottom line is I go up to our GM. This guy right here, I'm talking about 4740, 67, 335 pounds. Could do whatever he wants to do. But he had this thing called a checkbook in the back that was loaded, and he didn't really care about it but he was influencing some of my other players. Ten years later, we draft a kid out of Tennessee who he's actually there coaching, and he said, i tell you one thing I want you to do. I want you to stay close to John Lott because he will do what it's going to take because I didn't do that, and I never saw my potential. So that was one of the guys, Chester McLaughlin, God bless him, he's passed on with us now, but we have some other guys that are acquired. And it's somebody we drafted in the first round of the 18th pick out of a little school out of West Virginia called Marshall. And his name was Chad Pennington. He wasn't fat. I mean, he couldn't run out of sight. I mean, this guy, but as far as great guy, godly man, everything else, he knew his limitations. So he honed in on that. And by the time that he retired in the NFL, he was in the top three accurate passers to ever play the game of the National Football League. We had a receiver who went all over the country with his daddy to try to get a shot at an NFL team from a little small 1AA school called Hofstra. And we were right across the street. He came across the street on an open tryout. His name was Wayne Corbett. And Wayne Corbett led the league in three years in a row in third down conversions. And so he never did listen to what everyone else said. You're too short. You know, you're the wrong guy. And he did his thing. Thank you, John. Booyah. (laughs) (laughs) So, living up to our potential. Um, There's something called the rubber band theory that I've always ascribed to. And it goes like this. We're all given, when we're born... Uh, we're all given a life. We're all, all given an opportunity. And maybe your rubber band's like this size. 
and you're given that opportunity, and what God has given you, you can impact the world. You can make more of what God has given you. You can uh, maximize your opportunity, your potential. Or you can just leave it like this. Your, your life can just be this little rubber band, and you can always come up with excuses. You can always play it safe. You can be lazy, and you look up, and it's just this. And we complain, well, that's all I got. I didn't have any talent. I didn't have enough ability. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't given the leadership skills. But here's the truth. All of us are given a certain amount. Sometimes people are born, like uh, John talked about, with, with a lot more natural talent. They have a bigger base from which to work. And so they have more opportunity to succeed, whether it be in sports or music or business or whatever it is. But all of us are given some ability. The question is what we do with it. Now, truth of it is, there was nothing that I was ever going to do that was going to put me in the NFL, okay? Didn't matter how hard I worked, I just wasn't going to get there. But I did have the ability to do some other things, and I did have the ability to get stronger, to get faster, to, to uh, hone on the skills that God gave me. And what we can do is we can take those skills and we can expand them. We have opportunity for it to be a lot larger. We have more potential to accomplish what God has called us to do for the reason we've been placed on this earth if we will take what he's given us and we will work and we'll do some basic things that I'm going to share with you in just a moment here. So here's your life today. How are you being stretched? Now here's the whole truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that we are all sinners and fall and fallen way short. There, our band can never get to God. No matter how big, no matter how much congenital ability we have, we can never make it to God. But the good news is the almighty God of the universe absorbed our sin. He absorbed our, all the things that we lack. And he said, you know what? I forgive you if you will receive my son, Jesus Christ. If you'll recognize your limitations, your sin, your inability to be good enough, I will forgive you if you will put your trust and hope in me. And I absorb all your weakness, all your sin, and I give you a new life, a life that is eternal. That's the story of the gospel. What are you doing with your life? Now, boys and girls, I want to give you seven things. Now, you've probably heard a lot of these things before, and um, I have picked these up over the years, and these are just seven little tidbits of living up to your potential. Seven things that you can do that don't require any talent. That's the best way. None of these things require talent. There's not a reason that anybody in this, this room cannot do them. They're very simple. Uh, and if you will do them, it will expand your potential. It will give you more opportunity. So let me share these seven with you very briefly. Number one thing that you can do that requires no talent, that if you'll do it, you'll start to see it'll make a difference. Number one, be on time be on time. It was interesting. I, I, I saw John this morning. He was already in my office uh, when I got, when I started to look for him. And I said, oh man, you got here early. He goes, I'm always on time. He said, in my world, if you're late, you're in trouble. He said, so I always show up on time. That's an easy thing we can do. Be on time. A lot of times we miss things just because we're not on time. Can I tell you this? In this church right here, we're always going to start the service on time. Matter of fact, Patrick and I argue all over the time, all the time, over whether we're going to start early or not. He goes, "Do we have to start early?" And I, he's already—he's always saying he's pushing back because I'm saying let's start one or two minutes early. We're probably the only church you know that um, if you get here on time, we've already started. Okay? Because I believe—I believe there's no such thing as exactly being on time. You're either a second late or you're a second early. All right? And I'd always rather be early. 
Matter of fact, I remember the story. I remember I didn't hire a guy one time who interviewed with us because he showed up late for his interview. And I said, I said, so what was going on? I said, you have an accident? Something happened? He goes, no, man, I was really hungry. I hadn't had anything to eat, and I didn't want to do this interview on an empty stomach, so I went and got something to eat, so that's why I'm 30 minutes late. I didn't hire him. Okay? You may think that's tough. No, that's, that's problematic of what's to come because your, your gut was more important than being here on time for your first impression. So go work somewhere else. I, I'm not here to be mean. I'm just saying... It sends a message. Number two, have a good work ethic. Very simple. Have a good work ethic. When it comes to work, work hard. One of the things that I always do before we hire somebody, I always call and I'm asking this question. So tell me about their work ethic. Tell me about how hard they work. And somebody said, oh, it's all right. They do okay. That means no. It means they're lazy. That's what it means. I want to hear people, you know, he's a great worker. Because I can't, I can't teach you to work hard. I can't do it. Number three, effort. Effort. I remember John telling a, a group of boys, one time my son, a group of boys, he was helping them. He said, what's the one thing you can control, boys? One thing you can always control in your life, effort. You can always control your effort. Put forth effort. Number four, attitude. Attitude. Let me tell you this. If you have a good work ethic you, and you're, you, uh, you have a good attitude and you're putting forth effort, it will cover the multitude of your sins. When you make mistakes, your coach, your boss, uh, your employer, the people you work, they will forgive it if they know that you're a hard worker. They know you have a good attitude and you're putting forward effort. Be prepared. Simple thing. A lot of times today, people aren't prepared. When you go into meetings, uh, when you uh, go to games, when you do your homework, when you go to school, are you prepared? Have you done what you were supposed to do before you get there? Do the extra. Go the extra mile. People will always notice it when you go the extra mile. And lastly, pray. Are you praying that God will use you? Are you praying his provisions? Those are seven things that require zero talent. But if you do those, I promise you, it opens up the door for more opportunity. It helps you to reach your potential. It doesn't make you more talented. It enables you to do and use what God has naturally given you. Now, as we look at the story of Samson here, we notice here's a man who's incredibly gifted. He's been blessed mightily. And you don't have to to turn. I want to just make this a narrative sermon today. I just want to kind of share it with you. But in chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible tells us that the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put them under the submission of the Philistines. But now, after 40 years, God is calling Samson. He is raising up Samson to begin the process of of deliverance. Samson is beginning the process of deliverance. I would argue that he could have done a lot more had he been obedient to God, had he followed closely after him. But the story goes like this. There's a guy named Manoah. He's a godly guy. He's not a wealthy man, but he's a godly guy. And he has a wife, and they're barren. She's not been able to have children. And you see this theme over and over in the Bible. You remember Sarah couldn't have children, but God granted her son. Rebecca couldn't have children, but God granted her her a son. You see, in, uh, you see Samuel, who, who, matter of fact, was one of the prophets and one of the, one of the judges as well. Hannah, his mother, cried out for a son. We see Elizabeth, who was uh, the cousin of Mary, Jesus' mother, who was barren, but God comes and, deliver, and gives her a son. We see this theme over and over again, and that's what happened. God appoints this woman uh, at this time to be used uh, to bring into the world a son who will be a deliverer. Exactly what Jesus ultimately comes to. We see a foreshadowing occurring here. And so the angel of the Lord comes to her many 
Scholars would say this is a Christophany. This is an early picture of Jesus Christ and tells him the prophecy, tells him what's going to happen and tells her, look, I don't want you to partake of any unclean food. I don't want you to touch anything that's unclean and I want you to not partake from the vine. If you went back to Numbers chapter 6, you would see the Nazarite vow. And this is pretty much what he's telling her. Look, you're going to raise a Nazarite a child who from birth will be a Nazarite, and I want you to go ahead and I want you to eat what is right. I don't want you to touch anything unclean, and I want you to stay away from from the vine, the grapes, the wine, uh, anything that would give you the picture of excessiveness. You're not going to be a part of that. And and the last part is you don't cut your hair until that vow is uh, is is over. And so there's the picture right there. And so he he tells her what to do and tells her this is what your son's going to be. And sure enough. Uh, she has the son. His name is Samson. And he comes and uh, he is given great strength. He's given incredible strength. And we'll pick up right there. And the Bible tells us this. Um, we'll see that the angel of the Lord's announcement, we already saw the Nazarite vow, the, the birth of Samson. And then we see Samson's infatuation with ungodly women. He's a womanizer. No, no two ways about it. Uh, not what God would have had him to be. And it causes great pain and ultimately his death. And then Samson has a riddle. And he gets mad because he feels like he's tricked and he takes revenge. That's the picture of Samson's life. Let me read it to you here. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. This is strictly physical. He's not spoken to her. He's not talked to her. He doesn't know her. She has just, uh, she's, he's found her attractive, to say the least. And he says, I want her. Now, he goes and tells his parents that this because parents would set up and arrange for the marriages at this time. And so what do his parents say? His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your own people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? Don't you recognize that th- this is our people, and God has asked us to make sure that we stay with those who worship Yahweh. She, this woman is a pagan. She doesn't believe what we believe. She's not of our, of our tribe. Uh, she has a complete different culture. And by the way, that's what the Philistines were doing as they were the rulers over uh, the Israelites. Many of the nations uh, that would come against Israel, the Malachites, Ammonites, Moabites, they would, be, uh, they would kill uh, they would enslave, but the Philistines, they didn't do that. The Philistines came and ruled, but they were in control of all the metal. And so in order for you to get any kind of metal for your crops or anything, you had to go through them. Therefore, they limited severely the access to weapons. And not only that, they, they wanted to absorb the culture. That's kind of how they worked. They wanted to absorb the culture, so they would intermarry into that culture until basically they would breed them out. And so they had quite a new, new, unique way of handling those whom they ruled. And God understands this. And he continues here. And they said, must you go to this uncircumcised Philistine? This is, this is a picture of an unbeliever, one who is not of our faith, not of our culture. But Samson said, get her for me. It's all about physically what I want. She's the right one for me because I desire her. 
And then you see a parenthetical statement in verse 4, parenthetical in that it's reflective back. It's not what was originally said, but the author is reflecting back. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord. He was seeking occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, I personally believe, along with several scholars, uh, not everybody would agree with this, but I don't think that was his first choice. I don't think that's what God desired, but God works in spite of. God knows Samson's heart. He knows what he's going to do, and he's going to use it even for his glory, even though he's not being obedient to the precepts of the Lord. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and they approached the vineyards. Now, where's Sam, what is Samson not to do? He's not to eat of grapes or raisins or wine, but he went to the vineyard. He's a Nazarite. He's already breaking his vow. Continue here. And, and suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. Well, you've decided she's going to be your wife, you're attracted to her, and now he said, and I do like her too, all right? Sometime later. When he went back to marry her, which was traditional, customary, there's a period of time in between the marriage, a time that you're actually, uh, the marriage is finalized. And so he comes back later, he's on his way back, and the Bible says uh, that he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. So he's gone back into the vineyard, and he's gone back to see the lion that he'd killed, and he gets there, and in it is a swarm of bees and some honey. And so he scooped it up with his hand, and he ate it all along. Now, what's the problem here? He's not supposed to be in the vineyard. Number two, he's not supposed to touch a dead body. He's just scooped some honey out of the carcass of a lion. And if that's not enough, what does he do next? He goes and he gives it to his parents, and now he's made them unclean. He gave them some to eat too, but he did not tell them, because his mother certainly would not, not have eaten of it, but he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegroom. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Let me tell you a riddle. This is very common. Riddles were very, uh, very normal and very much part of life during this time. And Samson said, let me, let me give you a riddle, guys. You're all Philistines here. I know you don't like me, but you're intimidated by me. You know you can't take me. I can, I can take any of you guys out. Uh, I know there's, you, you, you have great fear. You probably think I'm just a dumb jock. Let me give you a riddle, smart, smart men. So he gives a riddle. And this is what he says. They said, let us hear. And he said, matter of fact, if you can guess what my riddle is, uh, I'll give you 30 suits, 30 chains of garments. And if not, you have to give me 30 chains of garments. They said, okay, let us hear it. And he goes, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet, making reference to the lion and the honey. For three days, they could not understand it and could not give an answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Get your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we'll burn your house down with all of you in it. Did you come here? Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's Samson's wife threw herself at him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, and you haven't told me the answer. And he said, I haven't even told my parents what it means. Not just you. So why should I explain it to you? And she cried all the more because she continued to press and nagged him so severely He finally turned to her and gave her the riddle. But before the sunset of the seventh day, the men came down to him and said, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And then Samson, being the sensitive 
uh, young man that he is, has this to say to them. If you would not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. This, hopefully, I'm sure this really made for marital bliss at this point. If you'd not plow with my cow, then you wouldn't have been able to get the answer to this. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went to Ashkelon, which is about 30 miles away, struck down 30 men, Philistines. He's mad at them because they've tricked him. They've manipulated his wife and stripped them of their belongings and gave the clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger and revenge, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to a friend who had attended him at his wedding. He runs off and leaves. He's mad at her. He's mad at them. He's mad at everybody. He didn't come back and deal with the situation. He just takes off. He goes and kills 30 men so he can take care of his debt, and then he stomps off. This is the antithesis of a man who is responsible to God, who is exercising and maximizing his life. He's given this great gift, this great opportunity to lead. He's given godly parents. He's given incredible strength, incredible influence. But he really only thinks of himself. He strikes at the Philistines because of what they're doing to him. He doesn't plan or or lead. He just strikes out on his own. It's a picture of the opposite of what God desires of us. I think of people who were enormously blessed. Tiger Woods, Lindsay Lohan, Johnny Manziel. Who end up wasting their talent. Therefore wasting their life. The same might be said of you and me. Oh, maybe our rubber band's not quite this big. But what are you doing with the rubber band that God has given you? What are you doing with the life that God has given you? Truth be told, there are some points that we can glean from the life of Samson. They're important for us to understand. Number one, what you believe on the inside will determine what you do on the outside. Samson thought it was him, that he was invincible. He believed that he would always have his power and strength and that, yeah, God had blessed him, but now it was all on him. There was nothing could be done to to rip his strength away from him. And so he lived a life in that manner, like it was all about him. Number two, recognize why you are where you are. Samson didn't recognize why have you been given that power. He was told, but he didn't really recognize it. And sometimes it's the other side. Sometimes we find ourselves in messes. But we have to do this. We have to stop and think, why am I where I am today? Number three, I've got to take responsibility for it. Yes, there are some bad things that happened that were beyond my control. Yes, there are situations that have occurred. But now I have to take responsibility. And what we don't see Samson doing is having good godly habits. He's, we, don't see, we, don't, we don't ever even see Samson praying except in the end right before he dies. We don't see him going to the Lord. We don't see him inquiring of godly wisdom. We see him just going off half-cocked and always relying on his talent and his ability, thinking it'll be enough to get him out. Godly habits open up doors for godly opportunity. Lastly, he didn't, create, he didn't come up with a plan. He didn't devise a plan to lead the people. God had called him to be a judge, to lead the people. But he just does what he feels, when he wants, how he wants. Can I tell you this? One of the ways we can maximize our potential is, quite frankly, to have a plan. 
have a plan about how we are going to grow in our faith, how we are going to impact others, how we're going to allow God to use us. Begin to exercise godly disciplines and to say, Lord, I want to grow. So I'm going to start my daily Bible reading. I'm going to have a specific time that I pray. I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to be mentored. I'm going to join one of the classes that are being offered to train me. I'm going to serve. I'm going to learn how to serve. And I'm going to, allow some, I'm going to go with someone else and, and, and just kind of glean from them. I'm, I'm going to have a plan, and then I'm going to do it. A lot of people make plans, and they don't do anything with them, and it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, doesn't help you any. But what are you doing with the opportunity that God has put before you? Maybe God wants you to work in our children's area, and you go, oh, that'd be a stretch. Yeah. Maybe God wants you to be a part of one of the missions that we're involved with, men and Nehemiah. Oh, that'd be such a stretch for me. Yeah. Maybe you want to go on one of these mission trips. Whoa. Maybe God is calling you to really pray for your neighbor and share the gospel with them. God, that's out of my comfort zone. God, can, can you just do something with just this, Lord? This, don't, don't stretch me. Don't move me. I just, I, but God, I want to be bigger. But don't stretch it because I might break. So what are you going to do? Boys and girls, my challenge to you, here's seven things that you can do today. Children, one, when, when you're going to school, when your mom and dad ask you to do something, when they tell you to be home at a certain time, be on time. They will start to look at you as responsible. They will start to trust you. They will start to give you more opportunities. Number two, work hard. If you have homework, if you're on the sports field, dance, art, whatever it is, work hard. Put forth real effort and have a good attitude about it. Don't worry about what somebody else has get or what you haven't got. Have a good attitude. Prepare yourself. Be prepared when you go to school. Be prepared when you go on the field. Be prepared when you go to meet someone. Do the extra. Do a little bit more than was asked. If your mom asks you to clean the room, don't just clean the room. Make the bed. If your mom asks you to brush your teeth, floss. Do the extra. Pray. Pray and ask God to continue to stretch you, to use you. I want to close out. I know I've shared this story before, but I think it merits repeating again. Uh, I go back to Herschel Walker, who was a pudgy kid that everybody made fun of him, had a speech impediment, couldn't talk well, couldn't speak well, and people were always making fun of him. And when he was 11 years old, one day he's going home, and this kid was making fun of him, and he told him to stop, and the kid jumped on him and just beat the mess out of him. The next day, he told his parents, and his parents said, you need to go talk to the PE teacher, go talk to your coach, and ask him what you can do to get stronger and defend yourself. So he went to the coach and said, coach, what do I do to get faster? What do I do to get stronger? How can I, how can I uh, maximize? How can I just get a, become a stronger, faster, uh, better person? And his coach told me, he said, look, his PE coach said, Herschel, if you will do as many push-ups as you can every day, as many sit-ups as you can every day, and if you will run as far as you can, as fast as you can every day, he said, if you'll do that for like 30 minutes, he said, he said I bet you within a year, nobody will be picking on you. So, her, as a matter of fact, he said, Herschel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do it one time in the morning before you get up, and I want you to do it when you come home from school. Herschel didn't play any sports. He didn't do anything. He liked to read. 
And he didn't even like to talk because he stuttered. So Herschel began every morning we got up. He'd do as many sit-ups as he could, as many push-ups as he could. And then he would go out and run as far as he could. And then there was a tree in the backyard. And he'd get up there and he'd do as many pull-ups. At first, he just hung there until he got to where he could do a chin-up. And he did that every day. And when he came home, he'd run as far as he could. He'd do, again, as many push-ups as he could, as many sit-ups as he could. And he'd go back to that tree and he'd try to do chin-ups. He did that year after year after year. And by the time he was 17, he was the most sought-after football player in the United States. Ranked the number one player in the United States, going to University of Georgia. Goes on to play for the Generals of the World Football League. Um, first player drafted in that, and then eventually with the Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings. But you were talking about an 11-year-old boy who didn't play sports, who didn't do anything, and who just wanted to quit getting picked on. But it was painful enough that it stretched him, and he began to do something, very, something everybody in this room could do. Push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, running. You know what? He didn't even lift weights. He, he, t- still to this day, if you saw him, he's in incredible shape. So why do I tell you that story? You're not Herschel Walker. But you know what? You have a life just like he does. What are you doing with it? Are you allowing God to stretch you? Are you willing to say, yes, God? Are you willing to put some disciplines in your life and expand your influence and expand your potential? Or are you just going to do what you've always done, expecting the same results? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord, it doesn't matter what our ability or our talent is. The question is, do we recognize who you are and do we recognize we're sinners? There's no way that we could ever ever get to you on our own merit. We're never going to be strong enough. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be holy enough. But Jesus, in your infinite mercy and wisdom, you provided forgiveness of our sins by shedding your blood because you said in your word there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of your blood. And for all who receive that forgiveness and put our trust in you, we might receive the grace of God and be found as forgiven and cleansed. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that, that our salvation is a gift. But Lord, what we do with our life, the grace that's been afforded to us, Lord, let us maximize, let us make the most of the opportunities that you've put before us, that we might be able to give an account for the hope that is in us, that we might be able to share and show Christ. I pray, Lord, for each boy and girl, for each man and woman that doesn't know you, today would be the day they come and receive you. And for those who are believers, it would be the day they stand up and go, God, stretch me out. Use me. Make me yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.